um, I knew I needed to do something for myself. So I started looking at you know, online trading a little bit. I started looking at online marketing stuff and I tried a little bit of everything and I really kind of kind of landed on property. Mm. And it wasn't until I took my own financial future in my own hands because no one's going to take care of me except for me. No one's going to, you know, rescue me at the bottom. It's, it's yeah. kind of all on me. And I'm 16,000 miles from home from a very small family. Um, it's, it's just kind of all or nothing. So I needed mm. to make the opportunity of living in London uh, to my advantage by meeting as many people as I could, learning as much as I could, uh, and kind of getting out of my own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you start peeling it back, you know, stuff like fear of being judged and fear of failing, they aren't, they aren't real. They're just blockers. Welcome to Push To Be More with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. Now this is a show that talks about the stuff that makes life work. And to help us do just that, today I'm chatting with Jeff Hancock from CoinPass about where he's had to push through, what he does to recharge his batteries and to be, as well as what he's doing to be more. What does growth look like? Well, these are all questions that we're gonna get into. And the notes from our conversation will be available on the website, along with all the links at pushtobemore.com. And whilst you're there, if you haven't done so already, make sure you sign up for the email newsletter and we will email you automatically the notes and the links from the show for each guest. It's an amazing thing. So just go get it, it's worth it. Now, this episode is brought to you by Aurea Media, which helps entrepreneurs and business leaders set up and run their own successful podcast. Oh yes. But why would you want to host your own podcast? Which I think is a fair question. Uh, For me, I can't find a better marketing tool at the moment right now for what we do, genuinely, unless it's e-com and we need paid media. But that's another story. But on the whole, podcasting has has just been super rewarding for me. Uh, We have four podcasts. We're just about to launch our fifth. And then there's a sixth one. Not slowly following that one, let me tell you. Why? Because they are incredible marketing machines. They open doors to amazing people like nothing I've seen. I've built networks, made friends, and had a platform to champion my customers, my team, and my suppliers. And I think just about any entrepreneur or business leader should have a podcast simply because of the huge impact it's had on my own business, which of course sounds great in theory, doesn't it? But there's the whole problem of setup, distribution, getting the tech right, knowing what the right podcast strategy is. I mean, the list goes on. And this is where Orient Media enters the scene. They take all of that off your plate, which means you just get to do what you're good at, which is talking to other people. So if you're wondering if podcasting is a good marketing strategy for your business, do connect with them at orionmedia.com. That's A-U-R-I-O-N media.com. So that's the show's sponsor, orionmedia.com. Let's talk about the show's guest. Jeff is a crypto enthusiast with a background in cybersecurity. But before he found his calling in the world of crypto, he spent time working in the casino and finance industry. In 2017, during the first crypto bull run, Jeff saw the need for a better way for UK users to trade crypto and founded CoinPass with his co-founders. Oh yes, now with a passion for blurring the line between crypto and finance, Jeff is dedicated to making crypto accessible and safe for everyone. Yes, he is. So Jeff, welcome to the show, man. Great to have you. How are you doing? 
Uh, I'm well, Matt. Thank you for having me along. Really great intro. Um, I've definitely put podcasting into our marketing strategy once upon a time. Um, but the yeah, the overhead of uh, finding guests, uh, getting them on board, pre-screening, production, um, and then uh, distribution was always one of the things that yeah, it was is, is a lot of time. So yeah, uh, I'm sure your sponsor is doing a good job. Then I'll, I'll I'll definitely take a look at that when we relaunch it. I think we did about twenty. 27 or 30 episodes during oh, wow. during COVID. It was a good way to stay in touch with people. Um, yeah, the yeah. market was still you know, in its own boom during COVID. Um, and that was a period of time, you know, I'm sure we'll get into, we had to nearly double the size of the company just to keep up. So no, it's been a, <laughs> been a wild ride. It's not a bad problem to have, is it really? Yeah, not the worst thing, but yeah, it was obviously had its own challenges. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, so what was the podcast called? Uh, the coin pass podcast nice and simple um went out on all the major major streaming platforms uh we did the artwork in house you know the first 10 episodes were just you know, good mates of mine that i've met yeah. through the crypto space uh and then yeah started kind of getting some more people in and then uh, uh business just started taking over really couldn't couldn't scale it with the the time input that was required from me and and some of the rest of the team but it's uh some of you are looking to relaunch in the future as well yeah, yeah, fascinating, fascinating. So the Coin Pass podcast. So let me ask you a question, uh, Jeff. Just the same question I ask all, I guess, actually, because we are sponsored by Orion. Um, if you, uh, let's say, your Coin Pass podcast is up and running, but if you could interview anybody on the show from your past or present um, that's had a big influence on your life, that's my only caveat. They've had a big influence on your life. Ooh. Who would you have as a guest, and why? Well. I probably have probably one of the most non-crypto people ever, um, <laughs> who is one of my original uh, kind of business mentors. He's a property guy named Simon Zucci, and I met him at a uh, property event. I uh, saw it on the internet, um, went along, was, you know, was at the Excel, big, you know, huge mm-hmm. expo bit. Uh, got a copy of his book from his stand, listened to one of his talks. And, um, you know, out of the 30 people sitting there, I managed to win a ticket to his little, little miniature, little one day course that obviously got to the next one, to the next one, the next one. Yeah. Um, but his principles of just boiling it down to, you know, keeping it absolutely simple. Um, and the whole, um, uh, what do you call it? The whole premise of that business was, was working with people, um, not dealing with people and trying to get the best deal on this. It was about dealing with people and giving them what they need. And some of those principles, you know, rung very very true to what i've been doing the, in my previous careers you know like every other australian i started out hospitality behind a bar um <laughs> worked in uh hotels casinos for about six years doing uh tech uh infrastructure and cyber security so it's a highly yeah. regulated environment uh highly secure you know three five hundred servers four thousand staff and on a very boring monday we'd have 20 to thirty thousand guests through the door now wow. just because i work in tech doesn't mean that i was behind the scenes at all times i was required to you know work with investor relations work with the you know, the eye in the sky work with the, the the video techs finance dealers the cage even the vault um which is nothing like it looks on any oceans 11 movie there's only one guard <laughs> with a shotgun. there's not two guys with an uzi uh, just a really long hallway. But um, I also dealt with a lot of the guests. You know, um, I've met some very famous ones. You know, mm. um, uh, Aussie rock star John Farnham couldn't get on the Wi-Fi. Went up to his room at 11.30 at night. And I went, you're John Farnham. Hi, nice to meet you. I met the, uh, I met one of the uh, Qatari princes because oh, his wow. son's iPad was, was on the fritz. Uh, and they had the whole 
22nd floor. It was about you know, 200 people that they'd hired it out for. And I had to go through their layers of own security just to fix his son's iPad, you know. Mm. And it was always this part of, you know, keeping it simple, putting the customer first uh, and providing an amazing service. And that's the mm. same as hospitality. I brought all that into my tech career. I moved to the UK and worked in data centers for a little while uh, while I was on my working visa. And again, we were selling tech to, to customers. And, you know, one sales guy would sell the dream and someone has to go and install the reality. And when you're dealing with, you know, not just the business owner, but the people that are inside that business using the tech you sold them, adding that little tiny 5% of the extra add-ons and auto sign-in and some of the cataloging and tagging and whatever else there might have been. Uh, and these are very big, well-known brands as well. But just that little tiny extra little bit of service um, makes it go you know, massively far. Mm. And even some of those clients I haven't worked for now in, you know, seven or eight years, but my mobile number is still floating around on some message board somewhere in someone's office saying, oh, if this breaks, do you, Jeff, do you give Jeff a call? And unfortunately now after eight years, I've, oh, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you called me. So I was still sending my old, my old, uh, my old boss's clients back to him after this amount of time. Uh, and that just goes to show that little bit of extra care, that yeah, little yeah. bit of extra you know, people because um, people just want to be treated like people. Mm. Um, uh, it's definitely a good business move, and that's how we carried through to when we started CoinPass. Um, it's 2017, 2018, and um, uh, a few people had come to me. I had my fingers in, you know, in, in, in property, um, in, in consulting, in crypto, and trading, uh, as well as doing my cybersecurity consulting, cybersecurity consulting with um, a very large hedge fund called SoftBank. And they said, how do I buy 20,000 pounds worth of Bitcoin with no FX exposure? That means going into Euro, going to US dollars. <coughs> Sorry. And um, I said, basically, yeah, there's only you know, one or two platforms in the UK right now. It still requires you to send your pounds to Lithuania or Estonia. There's no banks in the UK that will accept it properly. Um, you may as well, and you'll wait, you'll wait three or four days. The pricing isn't as good. You'll lose three to 5%. Just take the FX hit. And they go, why not? Why isn't there a better solution? Uh, and that's where it comes down to me opening my big mouth and saying, let's start our own one. Uh, <laughs> and that's literally where it came out. And I've actually still got it back here. If I can go back here, I've got the original, the original bar drawn uh, oh, wow. business schematic and, and everything on there. And that was the original bit of paper from the very, very first session. We sat down at the pub uh, 11.30 p.m. on a Monday in Clapham. And, uh, and drew it out really. And um, pretty much 50%, 60% of that is still valid today, which is quite cool. Wow. And that's how CoinPass was born. Uh, that's how it was born, out of kind of a stupid conversation out of how to <laughs> invest into something. And it was, in the middle of, it was in the middle of a bear market at the time. So it was, Bitcoin was like $2,500 at the time. It's now over, over 30. And um, yeah, that was originally the start of it. We built some banking relationships. We put our own mm. money into it. We didn't do a fundraise. We put our own developers on board and it was all a side hustle for the first eight months until we launched it. And the business plan was sell one Bitcoin to one person. And at midday, on the first day we launched, we're like, what do we do now? We've just hit our, our year one goal was to get you know, <laughs> one. You know, everyone's going to buy a little bit. So we thought we were going to have a bit of a dollar cost averaging platform. We'd see. Yeah thousands of little tiny deposits and then someone just dunks like 5k in the account and just pushes the buy button We're like oh what next now we have a business <laughs> on our hands so yeah. that's how it kind of started out a bit of a you know a bit of a play on words a bit of fun um how can we make it better what's everyone else doing why is it so hard and you mm. know we're still here five years later competing with the big boys 
Which is fantastic. And I, I love how it just started with a chance conversation, a random sort of, I think to quote you, uh, Jeff, opening my big mouth. <laughs> Yeah, and the reason still, I'm laughing is fault. I, I <laughs> we still have there and now and then. It's like this, this is all your fault. <laughs> yeah, why not? Right? Why not? Um, the reason I'm laughing is because I, 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 I can totally empathise, and I know so many people that can because they just happened to open their mouth one day, and the next day a business was started. Yeah, um, which I think is just hysterical because it's not about planning. Sometimes it's just about having a go and see what happens. No, it's it's definitely about doing, and I think especially in the crypto space because it moves so fast. Mm. Um, on the tech side, on the investment side, on the you know, obviously on pricing, it's extremely volatile, and all of those things people love about it. There's something in crypto for everybody. Um, whether you're a long-term investor, a lot of property guys like just putting a couple of thousand pounds away, sitting on it for five or six years. They're not trying mm -hmm. to day trade it. Um, we've got uh, a few law firms, accountancies, even a supercar dealer mm. that takes us that takes uh, stablecoin payments, and stablecoin is kind of a, a crypto token that's pegged to a US dollar. So mm -hmm. it doesn't move. Uh, and they can, instead of taking that US dollar payment from all over the world, it might take a week to clear. It might only cost $20, $30, but using a crypto-based stable coin, they can have it in their wallet in two or three minutes. Mm -hmm. They can liquidate it instantly and have those pounds in their bank account within an hour. So uh, I'm, I personally wouldn't have bought a Range Rover for 190,000 pounds, but <laughs> someone of one of our clients wanted to. And he's like, I can take a stable coin payment. It's going to cost me, you know, uh, 50, 50 bucks in fees, which he tags on at the price. And he's able to take that payment instantly from any client in the, anywhere in the world. So it opens up a lot of kind of possibilities. We've even helped a couple of charities uh, launch their kind of global fundraising campaign by taking mm. crypto deposits, as, or sorry, crypto donations. Um, mm. So now they're accessing a new market of people that are trading, getting their yield in crypto. They now, they know that the crypto is going directly to that specific charity. It's not going through a person on the street, which then gets paid a salary, mm. which then you know filters away up the chain and only you know five or ten p out of every pound raised actually makes to the charity. They know that a hundred percent of that crypto is making it to the charity. So there's that's why I say there's something in crypto for everybody. There's so many different use cases that are constantly being improved, constantly changed. Mm. Um, and the only thing slowing it down is, is really regulations, which can't move fast enough. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of the impression that I get is people can't keep up with it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not definitely a bad thing. They're doing the best job they can. Mm. Um, we're one of the first companies in the UK to get our FCA registered license in 2021, I think it was. Um, and I can see that going up to a higher level of status in the future. But that list is still very small. There's only 38, maybe 40 companies on that list. Um, that have permissions to do crypto in the UK and where we were one of the wow. first. So I guess, do you find, Jeff, that there's still a lot of people that don't really understand crypto? It's still uh, a lot of confusion yeah. about it? I think there's confusion about it, about what they're buying and what they can do with it. And that's why I say there's something for everyone. If you're looking to trade a volatile asset because you're a trader, then there's something there for you. If you're yeah. looking to buy and hold something long-term, because you've, you've read a bit about it, there's only a fixed amount of Bitcoin that's ever going to exist, um, or you want to do you know something with staking and earning and yielding, that kind of stuff, there are different kind of mechanisms for it. But you don't have to understand all of the technical under how to run a wallet. It's good to know the security of it, because you can become your own bank, and that can be very scary uh, or very empowering for the right people. Um, but you don't need to know what a SegWit is. You don't need to know every different type of wallet. You just need to follow some kind of common sense rules in protecting yourself online like you would your bank account, your debit card, anything else like that. Yeah.
No, it's powerful, powerful. Do you do you do the day trading thing yourself, or do you sort of stay clear of that? Um, I've proven myself many times over and over. I'm not a very good trader. I've definitely <laughs> got patience for it, right? But um, I don't definitely not on the day to day. But if it's more of like a weekly or a monthly thing, I kind of look at longer term trends. So I draw some very very stupid um, support and resistance lines. So. Here's a time where Bitcoin has come down to the same level at least twice. And here's two or three times Bitcoin's hit a level two or three times. And that might be over several months or even, or even several years. Um, and sometimes it's, it, it, it plays out exactly like it says on the, on the charts. It will get down, it'll get a little bit below it, it'll bounce up again. Um, I'm definitely more on the investor side or a digital hoarder. So mm. I will, if it dips 5 10%, I'm a buyer if I have capital available. I'm buying the same amount every week, regardless of what the price is. That's called a dollar cost average, something that okay. you might do with your, your ISA or your pension. You just put the same 100 bucks in every month or 10 bucks a week or whatever it is. Um, and, and regardless of the price, you're always accumulating because I have a much more longer-term strategy when it comes to most of my investments. Yeah. Um, will I go in and change the ratios every now and then? Yeah, sure. Um, I've, I've bought a bunch this year when the price is really low. There's now been a bit of an increase. I might shave some of those profits off mm -hmm. and invest them into another token. So I'm kind of getting those tokens for free. Um, I've also taken part in um, a lot of what we call airdrops. So if I have a, an Ethereum wallet and it's got some Ethereum in it, um, I will then automatically be you know, able to claim free tokens that launch on different networks at different times. Um, my probably favorite one to date, I think it was, was Uniswap when it first came out. And I think they dropped like 900 tokens in every wallet that had an Ethereum balance in it. And then I forgot about it for two years. But yeah, I've got to go, I've got to go back and claim that. And I never put it in the diary and I never bothered to do it. And a lot of people sold out when it was $1, $2, $5. So you imagine getting like $900 for free. Mm. Uh, I forgot to do it until every token was worth like $24 or $25. So that was a very happy Saturday claiming no kidding <laughs> 11 or twelve thousand or something out of my account um so it, i think it's just there is the knowledge bit there's the the, the very low level i could buy a bitcoin i can leave it on a platform mm -hmm. i could buy some bitcoin i could take it to another wallet and no one can ever take it from me no one can ever freeze it as long as i hold the security of it you know mm -hmm. you can travel all over the world with you know a hundred bitcoin or you know, a million pounds in a usb key around your around your neck if you really want to um, or you can get to the more advanced layer where you're doing stuff in, in different ecosystems and different chains, which have a lot of advantages, some disadvantages that might be expensive, but it depends on how deep down the rabbit hole you go. And I think that's the same with, with anything. Yeah. Anyone that's not a podcast these days, you know, and they're a very good marketing tool, and people might do one or two episodes and get bored, and mm. some people go on to have a career like, you know, like Joe Rogan or something like that. You yeah. know, it depends on how deep down the rabbit hole you want to go. And I think... Yeah. Crypto is one of those new things where you can get put off very easily because of all the jargon and the buzzwords, which I don't like. Um, it should be inclusive for everybody. So where's a good place to go to get started if you wanted to understand a little bit more about it? Um, so definitely our blog is a great place mm. to start. Plug that in there. No. Um, anywhere, you know, top of Google, good place to start. Top of YouTube, good place to start. I would just recommend staying away from, from influencers. Influencers just in there in their you know what they're described as they're paid to influence other people to do something finding good reliable sources of um you know knowledge and know-how uh, is very key and then i would say you know, trying is the best way of learning and doing mm. is the best way of learning so start with fifty dollars 
everyone can afford fifty dollars. They want to take their first, you know, their first little dip, toe yeah. dip in the in the sea. And difference from using crypto to move between wallets, and you know, different from banking, is you have to pay for every transaction, which seems really, really foreign uh, and really, really weird. You know, we have free banking these days that we pretty much take for granted because the banks can use that money to create lending and create leverage, and you know, and some of the problems in the banking system. You want to send Bitcoin from one wallet to another, you have to pay a couple of cents. Mm-hmm. You want to send some Ethereum from one wallet to another uh, and do something kind of tricky with it, you know, stake it somewhere or get another token or whatever. Yeah, you might pay several dollars for that and you're kind of paying to use. Um, and that's the kind of the key difference. But you won't know any of that stuff until you actually go and try it for the first time. Mm. Interesting. And sh- sh- should I just look at Bitcoin? Uh, you mentioned Ethereum. Are there other ones that I, I mean, I, I, I that's well, the bit I find confusing. Is, is yeah, they so all they all have they all have different things to do and different kind of um, what we call uh, co- uh, to- tokenomics, token mm. economics. So, if you take Bitcoin, that's the Ford Model T that's been out there forever. It's the first one from two thousand nine. You can see every single transaction that's ever occurred on the entire chain. So, if I say, Matt, I'll send you a fiver, I'll ask you the next day, did you get that fiver? Because I have no idea if the bank actually sent it to you. Yeah. If I send you five pounds of the Bitcoin, I can actually see the transaction. And it's there forever. No one can ever change it. So it's really, really good for that kind of stuff. Um, Bitcoin is the easy one. Obviously, I can't give anyone any financial advice, but if you were to try it for the first time, my opinion would be you know, don't go down the route of trying to find the shiny pennies because there's 20,000 different tokens out there and there's more coming out every day for yeah. no good reason. Bitcoin has a fixed amount. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin ever. That's just set in the code. It can't be changed. It can't be manipulated. Um, and there's already 19.5 million in circulation or something like that. So wow. it's pretty up there in terms of, you know, it's going to take another 100 years or so for the for the last million or so to be unlocked. Um, and I won't get into mining and all that kind of stuff now. It's, it's, it's not for this conversation. But um, uh, there's a fixed amount. There's not enough go around. So mm. make your own assumptions about that. Now, something like Ethereum, for instance, that has no ceiling on it. You know, there will always be new Ethereum created. But as part of their mechanism to kind of keep the network moving and reward people that are using the network and stuff, they burn a certain amount of tokens every day as part of the gas fees. It kind of keeps the price under control. So it doesn't get used just as a investment mechanism. It gets used as a proper, you know, moving, flowing ecosystem. Yeah. So they each have different rules and they're governed in different ways. They are completely decentralized, but those are the two big ones that sit on either side of the, the crypto spectrum. Well, I'm going to be checking out the blog, that's for sure. Um, Back to your story a little bit, um, Jeff, if I can. I mean, part of this sounds absolutely fascinating, the fact you've got drawn into it and you've got your head around it and understand it all. What are some of the challenges that you faced yourself in in all of this, you know, some of the the obstacles that you've had to deal with and and, and overcome? Oh, definitely. Um, I think before I even got started investing, I've only been investing since 2014. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's you know, let's do the math. It's only nine years. So I've mm-hmm. done a lot in that amount of time. Before 2014, I was, you know, I was a technical engineer. I was an introvert. I was very, you know, I'd only been in the UK about four years at that time. I still only made a handful of friends. I was more concerned with getting an invite to the pub on a Friday night than looking at my financial future or anything like that. Mm. And then it really switched when I knew I wasn't getting any further in the job role that I was in. Um, I knew I needed to do something for myself. So I started looking at online trading a little bit. 
I started looking on my marketing stuff and I tried a little bit of everything and I really kind of kind of landed on property. Mm. And it wasn't until I took my own financial future in my own hands because no one's going to take care of me except for me. No one's going to, you know, rescue me at the bottom. It's, it's yeah. kind of all on me. And I'm 16,000 miles from home from a very small family. Um, it's, it's just kind of all or nothing. So I needed mm. to make the opportunity of living in London uh, to my advantage by meeting as many people as I could learning as much as I could uh, and kind of getting out of my own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you start peeling it back, you know, stuff like fear of being judged and fear of failing, they aren't, they aren't real. They're just blockers. Mm. So as soon as I got kind of got over that, I was no longer doing overtime at work. I was speaking at uh, property events once, twice a month on, you know, systemizing your property business to kind of take all the, you know, one thing I was good at was tech, unpacking, the different layers of a business and all the communication bits in between them, you know, from the tech side, mm-hmm. and then you know, taking all that friction out of a, an entrepreneur's property business. And I helped a few uh, very well-known guys systemize their business and go from five staff up to twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, some really, really small guys uh, get their first property, and how do I manage it with a full-time job? You know, it takes a hundred bucks a month to manage a property business, and all those mm-hmm. are you know, expensable if you have the right tax account and etc. So I used to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And that got me in front of, you know, um, some public speaking crowds of, you know, five, 10 people, up to 50, up to 100, up to 250, up to speaking on panels. And that, you know, people are listening to me for what I had to say. So maybe I must be saying the right things. And that kind of got me out of my own shell a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, uh, not that I didn't, obviously being invited for a beer is, is a nice thing, uh, <laughs> but I kind of didn't, I didn't care anymore. And it started... Yeah started to be really made me think, you know, the, and the more stuff you read as well, um, you know, your, your network is your net worth, you know, and the network yeah. of people I was working with, uh, they aren't going to read this, so it's fine. Uh, they're still at the same job eight years later, you know, mm. and I'm on my third or fourth business from now, I've lost count. Um, it's definitely about who you, who you talk to, who you read, who you, you know, mm. idolize and how you want to move forward. And we can all set our own journey. But I think the biggest bit when I, when I started this business, was that I was no longer an engineer. Um, I was CEO, co-founder, head of HR, head of marketing, strategy, product, everything. Everything I'd never done before in my life. So I had kind of a major identity crisis of what do I do? Am I doing it right? I had to learn and read and absorb everything on the fly and deploy it straight away as best as I could. And yeah, sure, like every startup, we made plenty of mistakes at the beginning. Um, and we only overcome those by doing it, finding the problem, replicating someone that does it better, uh, and trying to do it at the scale that we could afford. And we didn't raise a single pound of investment for our first three years. We were revenue only. Yeah. We got to 16 or 18 staff on payroll wow. every single month. Uh, as a small business in the UK, this has been an achievement, but then add on crypto, yeah. add a hostile regulation environment, and then add all the big players, the ones you've all heard of, that have hundreds of millions worth of marketing. And we were still stealing clients from everyone every single mm. week. So the biggest thing for me was, A, getting out of my own way. You know, people respected what I was doing. Uh, and I had to learn pretty much my third career from scratch in my my early 30s, which was, uh, yeah, pretty scary. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding at all. So, um so this is sorry you said your third or fourth business um and it's it's um 
it's very different. Crypto is very different in a lot of ways to property. I suppose a lot of ways, you know, some of the principles are the same. Are you still involved in property or is it just the, the crypto? Uh, one, uh, one, at peak, I think I had five or six HMOs up in the Midlands. Uh, I have one left that is currently for sale. Um, so when I say I have four or five businesses, let's unpack that a bit. This is probably my first public startup. So I've never done mm. a startup business and then closed it and failed it. Uh, first one was property business. Uh, second one was consulting. And then we had a, a software business that was supporting CoinPass as well. Now we managed mm-hmm. to roll that business up into our main exchange. So yeah, if you want to go back through companies, house weeds and stuff like that, yeah, it's technically four. Um, mm. But this is our my first kind of public startup, yeah. public users where I don't know every single user and I don't onboard every single user. Whereas a property business, you usually know all your investors and you know all of your agents. And depending on the size of your portfolio, you'll know all of your tenants. Mm. Uh, this is definitely not like that at all. <laughs> yeah, no, fair play, fair play indeed. And so um, can I ask why have you reduced your property portfolio, but you've increased obviously your holdings in crypto? Um, um, I think the I do quite a lot of JVs. I had a few brokers that I talked to early on and said I was far too Australian to be doing property, which kind of just fueled me wanted to do it more. So <laughs> I started by raising capital for other people's projects, which mm. I was quite good at. I think in the first two years we're doing property, I raised two, 2.5 million worth of capital for other people. Uh, first thing I wanted, I wanted a super bike, but I didn't want to pay for it. So I thought getting commissions was a good way to do that. <laughs> um, and then what I could raise in capital, I could never back up with my own deal flow because mm. you've know, got to be on the, on the ground, you talk with agents, constant research, da, da, da. You find 20 deals, one of them might be good just for you. Yeah. That's why a lot of people package up deals and sell them, uh, which is his own business all on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and very easy to get distracted. You know, you find a deal that might be really good, it'll work in this kind of format, whether it's you know bought outright and developed, if it's a title split, uh, it might be you, you rent it from the landlord and rent the rooms out individually, so a rent to rent or an option. So many strategies out there, and a lot of people get you know, shiny penny syndrome and trying to do every deal. Mm. You can't do every deal. No. So when I say I got to five, I think th- uh, three of them were joint ventures. Uh, one of them we owned outright. Um, one of them was an option or something like that. The option one was my first one with a, with a family member. Had about thirty grand in negative negative equity. Needed fifteen k to get it up and running. Managed to refurb it in three weeks um, and actually leased it to a medical company because it was right by a hospital. So we leased it to a medical company that put nurses in it for about four or five years and then sold it for five k more than he needed for his negative equity. So we got five years rental. We got a little bit of upcut in the end of it. Um, all the solicitors paid for themselves and etc. Mm. Uh, and yeah, we saved brother-in-law 30, 35K or something like that too. He was very, very happy. Yeah, and that was just an example of one of those kind of, the, you, you package it in an interesting way that's still legal and everybody wins. It's just non-conventional. And there's a lot yeah. of strategies I learned from my my mentor, Mr. Zucci. <laughs> Mr. Zucci. Yeah. Uh, my last one, yeah, last one was a joint venture. Um, I take basically care of everything. Um, yeah. He was like the mortgage host. Uh, and yeah, we split the profits 50-50. So I do all the all the um, admin intensive stuff, all the reporting, dealing with the agents, dealing with the council, all the boring stuff. Um, but the way I systemize my business is that it doesn't take me much time. Yeah, yeah, no, fair play, fair play. Um, what does growth look like for you then, Jeff? I mean, where, where, where's the sort of the future going? What's the sort of next five or 10 years on the horizon? On myself or on the business? Oh, both, either. Okay, so I think definitely um, done 13 years in the country now, uh, again, small family back home, so I definitely have to start splitting my time. Yeah. Um, the whole 
buying a big house, big car, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really scream wealth to me anymore. In my late, early 20s or something, like, yeah, garage full of GDRs, awesome, go for it. But now it's definitely a time of flexibility. And maybe that stands to your property question, it might be liquidity uh, mm. as well. Having a, a portfolio of 10 properties is great, but when it's at like 80% loan to value and you're locked into some of these things for 10, 20 years, and then what we see what's happening now with interest rates, it's, mm. you know, there's a lot of stuff outside of your level of control. Yeah. Versus if you're day trading, yeah, the risk is higher, but the returns are higher. Um, my strategy with long-term stuff, um, I don't feel that my portfolio is at much risk because I'm taking less risk on the way in and aiming for longer-term growth. So more of my portfolio is in crypto, but I can liquidate it at any time if I needed to. So I'm a bit yeah. more of a, in a liquid state. But definitely getting back and forth from Australia and traveling a bit more is my, my primary right now. Uh, quite happy renting with the state of... Uh, inflation and uh and interest rates so renting is good um and uh i think eventually when i do get around to buying something i'll have a uh, a small place here that suits my needs uh, i still have the farm back in australia but i do want to build my own little kind of dream housey thing on the on the side of a hill with a small bit of land back in oz so that's kind of the five-year maybe personal plan yeah. Um, Business-wise, uh, expanding the business to more countries. Definitely, our coverage is too small. We only cover 36 countries right now. So I definitely want to get over 100 countries. Uh, I want to get to a multiple license status, so having yeah. a, a license in Europe, license in Australia, a few other places like that, so we can onboard more countries. Mm-hmm. Um, team size, are quite happy being small and nimble. We've replaced, not replaced people, but we haven't had to take more people on because we leverage our tech quite hard from onboarding, compliance, um, you know, all the reporting, all the finance stuff, a lot of that happens automatically in the background, as it should. Um, I wouldn't see our business getting over 50, maybe 60 people at its at its peak. Um, and like now, they'll pr- probably spread all over the world. Well, so that, that's fascinating. And uh, I, I, I'm living the dream. I'm with you on this sort of... Um, uh, half your time here, half the time in Oz. I, 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 I don't know if I should tell you this, but I, at least once a year I try and get out to New Zealand. Um, yeah, and usually further than Oz. It's another yeah, island. Yeah, it's a little, <laughs> little bit further on. But I love to go either October time or February time, whenever the the clouds are a little uh, clouds are a little bit too grey here in the UK, and I just need some yep. sunshine. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I get this sort of um, this sort of multi location. Uh, like. And also doing doing UK hours at side of the world is actually brilliant. Um, mm. Sleep until nine ten. Go, I'd go out to the paddock, feed the horses. The horses are really confused. Someone's there at lunchtime. Um, you yeah, know, go to the beach, see some friends in the afternoon, start work about three pm, mm-hmm. uh, break for dinner, finish about eleven o'clock at night. And those are actually my kind of more productive hours are in the afternoons right. to evenings. That's where you know when I'm not working on CoinPass, I'm working on maybe other projects or, or whatever it's going to be. Uh, and they happen majority after hours, which is, you know, that's, those are the shifts I used to do back in the casino mm. days. I did a day of weeks, a day, sorry, a, a week of day shifts and then a week of afternoon to midnight and then a week mm. of midnight to 8am. So mm. two out of three weeks I was working at night. So it was very, very normal to me. Yeah. Followed on hospitality, followed on to everything else, followed on to London lifestyle. Uh, I don't mind nine to five. It's just a, it's a broken concept. You know, um, even my my lovely um, head of HR, Sarah, is like, if I see you sending another email at 11 p.m., I'm going to get tech to reset your stuff. And I'm like, no, it's not like that. <laughs> They're in Canada. It's the day. Leave it. No, it's it's definitely a it's definitely a give and take. I mm. think um, 
the more you put into something, the more you get out of it. That's why mm. I've found, I think especially in this journey, some hobbies of mine quite difficult to maintain. Uh, COVID was a big bit of that. But uh, if I don't have the time to put in, you know, uh, 10 hours a month into something, I don't know if I'd enjoy it as yeah. much as I think I should. So I've, I've been looking to get back into, you know, if I get a car, I really love my cars. Uh, I had a motorcycle for a little while until I was outvoted by my board to get rid of it. Uh, <laughs> probably a good idea, being a key man and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, no, I think yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm even even now I'm still working out a healthy work life balance because mm. I love what I do and I love connecting with clients and I love building cool stuff. Mm. Um, but I think everyone needs to be able to draw a line and uh, and have an off switch every now and then. So what is your off switch? Uh, well, I can't remember who read it, whether it was one of the 40-hour work weeks or Kiyosaki, whoever it was. You need three hobbies, one that keeps you creative, one that keeps you fit, and one that makes you money. Mm. So on the creative side, uh, I'm still trying to figure that one out a little bit. I've actually done a couple of um, extras work in movies recently, which is a, a cool little creative side. No spoken roles yet, so I've not got an IMDb profile. Um, <laughs> 15 hours in one day is a long it's a long day. Whoever does extras work full time, I mm -hmm. massive, massive respect to you guys. Uh, I found it actually took a lot of stuff out of my head. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about work at all. I was relaxed, met some cool people, was on set all day. It was all dressed and lights and this and this, this. And it was cool. I, I really enjoyed it. And I made a little bit of money, but that wasn't what it was for. Uh, keeping fit, I did, I did boxing for a number of years. Um, I did one um, white collar boxing, boxing night, which I unfortunately mm -hmm. didn't win. Um, I sucker punched him in the second round because I didn't hear the ref properly. It's not important. Um, it's quite stressful getting punched in the face as well, but I really love the stamina and the pad work and mm -hmm. coordination. And it's a very, it's a very good community sport as well. If you go mm -hmm. to the gym and just train for boxing stuff, um, everyone's extremely helpful and extremely yeah. nice. So I really yeah. that. Or just normal gym stuff is cool. Uh, I do a lot of walking. I'm here in Woking in, in Surrey. So I've got a mm -hmm. canal, ducks and swans and all kinds of stuff. So definitely like getting outside nature and then, and, uh, uh, walking around a bit, seeing new stuff. And on the money side, I'm a quite a competitive uh, poker player. So once, okay. maybe twice a month, you'll you'll find me down on the tables at um, at Hippodrome. Uh, very disciplined on the amount that I that I I say invest because every time I go back to the bank on a Monday and I have to cash in the winnings, they're like, where did this come from? Um, but no, I have a very fixed I have a very fixed bankroll. Um, as soon as it comes out of the machine, uh, I'm there to defend it. Mm -hmm. And it brings up my competitive side. There's a lot of strategy that goes into poker. There's a lot of math. If you want to play that math, I tend to play in person instead of online. Um, and I just love the game. It changes every single hand. You could be playing against a really, really loose guy. You could be playing against a really, really aggressive guy. You never, ever, ever try to three bet the old guy because he'll just run over you every time. <laughs> um, but no, I've, I've, I've actually made some, um, some good friends there that I, I see you know, once, maybe twice a month. And even some of the dealers maybe now. So I'll go down in my, in my coin pass hoodie or my coin pass sunglasses and I'll sit down and go, oh, the crypto guy's here again. And then like half the table's like, oh, crypto? Where? Where? And so it's it's almost like a bit of guerrilla marketing at the mm -hmm. same time. But those are kind of my three you know hobbies that I'm trying to um, uh, get myself out of work. Fantastic, fantastic. It's interesting to me, uh, Jeff. Listen, you talk about poker. How many people recently I've spoken to are really into poker, and I just never saw it. I yeah, was just, I, think, I, 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 th I was really surprised. Yeah, online it's very ones and zeros and very mustard. You know, you're click, 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 win, loss, win, loss. You don't mm. see anybody. You know, the the table the table banter and the you know the, the talk play is is like fifty percent of the game. Uh, you only have to understand the cards and maybe the card structures 
and understand, oh, I, you know, a, a full house is better than a straight or two pairs uh, loses to three of a kind. You only have to understand the real basics of it uh, and you can pick it up quite quick. But I found it very, well, before COVID, we used to run a, um, like a crypto group that um, ran a tournament every month. Mm. And uh, that that event used to sell out within like one or two days. It was about 50 quid. You got one buy-in or two buy-ins. There was a drink on arrival and like a slider or maybe some canapes or whatever. But the networking of that event was next level because it was mm. only people. It was fixed number. It was only decision makers. There was no retail people. And you wanted to fight to get a ticket to that because of the people you probably meet. At the yeah. Event. So the table talk and the connections and the, the, the social part of it was really good. But also I think the other bit when I go and if I play now, oh, and, and if a conversation does arise, it depends on the table. And there'll be one guy that talks about, you know, he, he has a transport business. Uh, one guy is into art and I'm into crypto or whatever. And there's a bit of the competitive aspect on it that if you say something out of line and you can't back it up with a bet, then instantly you've lost all your credibility. So there's yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, a no, a no BS approach to when you're there. You get to be completely be yourself. You can be as masked off or as open as you like. Uh, and if I say, oh, you know, I think, you know, not financial advice. Uh, Bitcoin one day could get to 100k. He's like, "Well, how much would you bet on that?" So, well, I, I, I'll bet you the next hand or whatever it is, you know. But if I say, "Oh, I would never take a bet," I've lost all my credibility now. Yeah, so yeah. This, there's this unshielded sort of effect of being around mm. people like that, that kind of competitive space where you are, you know, money talks or takes the bus. You know, mm -hmm. one of the other. So, I quite like it for that and the social aspect. And if you're good and you're patient and you learn a strategy and you don't go overboard, then yeah, it can, it can be profitable if you do it right. Mm. Fantastic. Fantastic. Jeff, listen, I've uh, really enjoyed the conversation. It's nice to talk to someone about crypto, if I'm honest with you. Um, and uh, just pick your brains a little bit. If people want to reach out to you, if they want to connect with you, find out a little bit more about what you're doing or about CoinPass, what's the best way to do that? Uh, it's definitely LinkedIn. It's probably my, my platform of choice at the moment. Um, not really on Facebook that much. So you look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for coinpass.com and you'll see it's under the, the company page. Or just look for me directly, uh, Jeff Hancock on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we will, of course, uh, put all of that information in the show notes as well, um, including the links to uh, CoinPass and to Jeff's LinkedIn. So um, they'll be in the in the notes. And if you've not signed up for them already, you can get them at pushbemore.com. But that's another story. Uh, Jeff, listen, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Um, I'm definitely going to be checking out your blog because I need to be understanding an awful lot more about what's going on in the world. Um, but um, no, I appreciate it. And thanks for sharing uh, your advice. Thanks for sharing your insight. It's been a thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable conversation. Oh, thank you for having me on there, Matt. I really appreciate the invite. And uh, yeah, if anyone has a uh, wants to intro, wants to reach out, please do. Um, there are no stupid questions. I think one thing you take from this, even if you never get into crypto, if you never start a business, uh, there should never be an excuse to be afraid of asking a question. Mm -hmm. um, my entire IT career for 16 years doing cybersecurity, data leak prevention, all the stuff I did with some of the biggest hedge funds in the world was about asking questions. Um, whether it's asking Google or asking someone directly, uh, you can never get where you're trying to go or get the right information mm. without asking questions and even challenging what you learn sometimes. Mm. You know, I challenged a multi-billion dollar co uh, company on, we want to run Microsoft and Google side by side. I went, that is a really bad idea and here's why. Mm. Uh, 
unfortunately I, I, I lost and I documented it, but luckily I never had to maintain it after I built it. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask questions. There is never a stupid question. So if you have a stupid question about crypto, please feel free to reach out. And if I can answer it, I will, or I can send you one of our blog articles we've written about it before. Fantastic. No stupid question. Love that. It's no very, very true. Very, very well, I true. might ask a stupid question, but I might get a stupid answer as well, which I'm totally cool with. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. But thank you, Matt. I really enjoyed it. I will uh, look back through some of your old podcasts while I'm uh, uh, doing a workout or a drive. So thank you for your time. No worries. It's been great, man. Genuinely, really, really appreciated it. Also, a big shout out to today's show sponsor, Aurea Media. If you're wondering if podcasting is a good marketing strategy for your business, and I think it probably is, do connect with them at aureanmedia.com. Com. And be sure to follow Push To Be More wherever you get your podcasts from because we've got yet more great conversations lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you yet today, dear listener, you are awesome. Yes, you are. Created awesome. It's just a burden you have to bear. Jeff has to bear it. I've got to bear it. You've got to bear it as well. Now, Push To Be More is produced by Orion Media. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Estella Robin, and Tanya Hutzlack. Our theme music is by Josh Edmondson. And as I mentioned, the transcript and show notes are all available on the website, pushtobemore.com. That's it from me. That's it from Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you.